Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lana. Joining me is a lovely young woman from Italy, Eline, who speaks five languages. She's also very knowledgeable in ancient Indo-European faiths, a topic I know many enjoy and want to hear more of. We'll start off talking about immigration in Italy, the Marxist Pope, and then move into ancient Italian spiritual traditions. To our Christian listeners, when we discuss pre-Christian traditions, please understand it is not an attack on you. When we discuss today's globalist nature of Christianity, we understand there are many Christians who are different. My wish is that both pagans and Christians can team up to fight back against the current globalist order. It's the only option. Elenia, welcome to the show. We've never had you on before. Thank you very much. I'm very happy of being here. Now, you're from Italy. I think you're the first Italian guest I've had on, which is just outrageous. I've been looking for more Italians, so I'm really excited about this. But please introduce yourself to everyone because no one knows you. Yeah, of course. Okay, I'm going to do like a brief introduction of myself. I am Elenia and I am 24 years old. I was born in Sicily. And during my um, high school years, I developed an interest in uh, foreign languages and philosophy and religions and traditions of um, the Indo-European people. I moved to Germany about four years ago because I wanted to study here. I had took a bachelor in Sinology in Leipzig, which is a city in uh, Eastern Germany. And then I moved to another city in Germany to continue, you know, working and at the same time, I am part of a political cultural movement in my region, which is the Circo Italia Sicilia. And I'm also part of the cultural religious group of uh, called Cultural Association Pietas. At the same time, I'm also the admin of Nordic Beauty. So some people maybe already heard about that. Yeah, and I actually heard that it was censored. Is that correct? That Facebook actually deleted? Yeah, yeah it happened actually in 2013, uh, the first time when it actually reached a lot of, you know, likes, condivision, etc. And it was because I had shared some kind of forbidden symbols of the Indo-European called <laughs> swastika. So they had to forbid it. Well, I think it's just hilarious, though, because what you mostly had there is just pictures of beautiful Europeans, right? Yeah. Like, just yeah. Pre- yeah. beautiful people. And it's like, that's hate, you know? Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. outrageous. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think, like, Facebook, as soon as they hear the word Nordic, they think it has something to do with Hitler. And they don't understand that it's actually a tribe of people that <laughs> exists on the planet. Yeah, yeah. You know? not only that, but it's a race that it's widespread in Europe, and not only Europe, but also in America and in Australia. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful phenotype of the European people. Yeah. And when I first created this page, there was really no page about, you know, the beauty of European people. You could find a lot of stuff about the beauty of African people, the beauty of Asians, blah, 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 but nothing about Europeans. And if you found some pages about that, it was about women with fake boobs, fake blonde hair and fake everything. So it was just pornography. It was not about aesthetic or beauty. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned you're in Germany. So as, as a foreigner coming in, looking in, tell us about what you see there. Well, as I was telling you, the situation here has been like uh, worsening year uh, after year. When I first came uh, here in Germany, I moved to Eastern Germany. And Eastern Germany... Luckily, maybe because they are poorer, maybe because they were under the DDR, uh, maybe because of social issues, they have maintained uh, a more homogeneous um, ethnic group. So they are mostly German. 
The problem is that, of course, there have been the refugee crisis. So we have, um, I think it was about two years ago, Merkel welcomed one million refugees. So the situation completely changed, in particular in Western uh, German cities, which I live right now in a, a Western German city, and the situation is awful. But I don't mean awful like you see some Muslims, you see some immigrants. I mean that you go out uh, walking down the streets and you just see them. You just see immigrants. You just see women with hijab, with burqa, with... Uh, they are all not native to this area. Oh, it's just... And it, mm. It's just crazy. And when I... I mean, the first years that I spent in Germany, I was unfortunately in an area uh, where most Turkish Arabs live. And this is known as uh, for being one of the uh, most dangerous streets in all Germany because of crimes, because of the rates of crimes. I mean, about rapes and about uh, drug... Um, about violence in general. Where I live, there was actually a murder and they closed the whole streets and it was patrolled by police day after day. And after some months, an, a man from Afghanistan stabbed his wife who was nine months pregnant. So we're talking about this. Yeah, so, it's just, this is, it's just so sad. Now, do you have any German friends yeah. there? Uh, it, <laughs> hard to find German friends because when they start talking about the fact that they should defend their country, that their country is German and should stay German, or at least if they want to welcome immigrants, they should just, you know, welcome a certain percentage of immigrants from other European nations. They look at you like you're crazy and like you just came out from the 30s. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the kind of discrimination, I mean. You cannot say anything. As you know, Germany, they've been guilted so much because of World War II and the Holocaust. So they think that this is their Absolutely. duty to replace themselves. Now, let's yes. contrast that with Italy, because Italy was fascist under Mussolini. Uh, but Italy yes. has a healthy rebellion right now. You have uh, Matteo Salvini, you know, trying to deport people <laughs> and, and stop invaders yes, from coming. Having, yeah, the situation is... I mean, it's just a bit better, actually, because if I have to be honest with you, there are a lot of cities in Italy, in particular in the northern part of Italy, which is, which is a richer, where immigrants are right now like the 20, 30 percent of the population in cities like Milano, which is a very important big city, Lombardia, or in other cities like Bologna, Torino, Brescia, and there. I mean, the crimes there, the situation there is very, very bad. And that's why people just, I mean, so in the political views of Salvini, some kind of um, liberation, some kind of, of freedom from this propaganda, from this oppression. Because I have to be honest, Salvini, it's not, it's not even an extremist. Because basically, he is some kind of civic nationalist. Mm -hmm. But to think that a civic nationalist created this kind of chaos in Europe makes you understand how oppressed we are right now by propaganda. Because if, if just by saying that we should just stop the mass immigration uh, waves in our country, also because we are poor, we don't have the economic situation to help them, because Italy cannot face them, really, makes you think that we are completely, and we have been completely manipulated by propaganda and by European politicians. Oh, 100%.
Now, you said Matteo Salvini is more of a civic nationalist, so he doesn't say things uh, like Italy for Italians? Or, uh, no, he how, says Italy for Italians. He says that, but he also says that if immigrants come in our country and they respect the laws and they don't commit crimes and they integrate, they are not going mm. to be, you yeah. know, refused. Yeah. You know, they okay. can be. They well, can stay. They'll never they be stay. real Italians. They'll never be ethnic Italians. It just doesn't work that well, way, you know. I know, I know. But this is like the best that we could have. Yeah. Right now, because we had another movement in Italy, which is truly nationalist, which is Casa Pound. Mm -hmm. Probably you already heard of that. Yes. They are, they are completely against NATO bases. They are against mass immigration. They are against, uh, um, they want to nationalize the banks, they want to nationalize the currency, and they want to go out of European Union. So they are really a change for Italy, but they are uh, too extremist right now for the times that we are living in. So Matteo Salvini was the second best choice for Italians to try to stop at least these waves of immigrants. You also said that there's many movements in Italy compared to maybe Northern and uh, Western Europe that they're probably less cucked. I think you know the term. <laughs> yes. yes, there are. Because as I said, this is this Casa Pound. And Casa Pound has little realities all across Italy. And not only in the Northern part, but also in the Southern part, also in the islands. For example, the cultural political group I'm part of, uh, Circola d'Italia Sicilia, completely refuses mass immigration, but it goes as far as to say that we refuse to have also mixing between races because we are an ethnic uh, group. We are a specific ethnic group. And if, I mean, this is what leftists say, the word is beautiful because it's diverse. Diversity is our strength. Okay, if diversity is our strength, then it's right that we should um, keep our ethnicity uh, like it is, the way it is. And we shouldn't change it by mixing with completely foreign groups that don't have any connection, relations with us. Not cultural, not genetic, nothing. Exactly. Now, and Italy's also a small country, right? And you guys are, are getting hammered with these uh, migrants, right? These refugees coming in on yes. boats. Uh, tell us about the situation there. I'd love to just go and see for myself and record some of this. I mean, um, if you go to big cities like Rome, for example, you are going to see how they are changing the, our daily reality. In particular, with the gypsies, for example, which they build camps and they steal stuff from the houses of people. And this has been, this has been known by police, by everybody uh, who has power, and they don't, know, they don't do absolutely anything. Another thing very important to notice is that, as I was telling you, we don't have a very good economic situation. And right now in Italy, we have the exact number of 4 million poor people who cannot afford a house, who cannot afford a food, who cannot give food to their kids. And there is a thing in Italy called social housing. So you request the state to give you a house without paying for that. Now, they did the list of people who requested it and who actually got the house. 60% of them were foreigners. <laughs> so they did give all those houses to poor people, to people with no jobs, people with no money, to give them to immigrants. To, to them, it's crazy. And I can tell you another uh, anecdote. When I was studying Bergamo, which is uh, near Milano, 
I was a student there and I requested a scholarship. To get the scholarship, you have to reach an amount of credits, but you also have to have a low income. Now, I looked at the list and I made a percentage to see how many foreigners and how many Italians got the scholarship. 47% of people who got the scholarship were foreigners. <laughs> so, two, I mean, 200 of Italians, the scholarship was refused. 200 of students, just because they have to give it to immigrants, which show to the income that they don't get anything. Oh. When maybe they actually have, you know, properties in their countries or their parents are working in their countries, in their home countries, but they just don't show anything. So this is the situation. Yeah, it's like that around a lot of European countries and even America. Everything goes to basically the, the non-Europeans. They get all the gibs, you know, they get all the benefits. They get all the perks and all the special yeah. loans and grants yeah. and scholarships. It's just ridiculous. Now, tell us about the leftist movements in Italy. How popular are they? Well, the leftist <laughs> movement have been um, held the power for literally the last 30, 40 years. We have the Partito Democratico, which means Democratic Party, which have been done propaganda for mass immigration since years. And they basically say, um, look, we are part of the European Union. We need to respect the, um, our, um, the, the condition that the European Union gave us. So we need to accept all the immigrants. Or they do propaganda like, oh, you know, uh, Italians migrated in the in the 20th century to America, so we have to accept all the immigrants <sighs> in our country. But what kind of argument is that? I mean, what kind of argument is that? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I, I've actually heard that too. People have used that for Sweden too. Well, 1.2 million Swedes went to America and... So they deserve to have their country overrun and exactly. become minorities. Like, and besides, America was a melting pot of Europeans. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> America was not belonging to a specific ethnic group. Yeah. So there were a lot of Europeans going there. But Sweden belongs to the Swedish people and Italy belongs to the Italian people. Yeah. So what argument is that? <laughs> now, I have to ask, do you get hit hard with uh, anti-fascist programming in Italy? Because a lot of people don't even know about Mussolini. They just freak out. Oh, he's a fascist. But he actually did a lot of good in Italy and was quite respected mm -hmm. in the time. But do you guys get hit with a lot of uh, guilt about Mussolini? Um, as I was telling you, in Germany, it's probably stronger than in uh, Italy because we really, I mean, most people don't feel guilty about that probably because they also don't like to study history and they are pretty ignorant about that. And this ignorance just makes them not caring about that. But even those who actually know the history, whether they use it as a mean to make you feel guilty like they do in Germany, because it happens actually that they tell you, oh, we had Mussolini, we were bad, blah, blah, blah. We had, we tried to do wars, etc., etc. all this stuff. But on the other hand, the majority really doesn't care that much. It's just the elite. And with elite, I mean the richest part of the population who has, you know, um, political activities among the leftist parties that try to make you feel guilty. It's funny how it's always these rich, bourgeois, upper-class elites yes. who are saying yes. all this. And it's <sighs> funny because they actually live in a neighborhood who are 100% white of course they don't have immigrants they don't of course the only immigrants they know are the people who go to clean their houses or the people who go to cook for them so the <laughs> slaves they actually treat them like slaves and then they attack 
other people to be against immigration because we are also against this kind of um, behavior towards them. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't want to make them come here and treat them like slaves the way these rich people do. And then they try to make us feel guilty when they don't know how is the situation. And it's ridiculous because they're also rich, so they could afford Italian nannies and cooks and cleaners, but they don't, you know? No, they don't because they want to exploit them. To the last cent, they want to exploit them. So that's why they prefer them. Now, recently, the Dalai Lama just came out and said, uh, you know, Europe for Europeans. He was speaking up in Sweden. He said that the refugees, ultimately, they have to go back and make peace and build up their own homelands. Now, let's contrast that with the Pope. Tell us about the Pope in Italy. Well, what can I say you about him? I mean, the church has always had a political role and it will continue having a political role. Now, we have actually a very strange situation which shouldn't be in the Christian world where we have two popes because we had Ratzinger. And if you receive uh, the request of being a pope, it's a request that it uh, automatically comes from God. So you shouldn't refuse it. But we actually managed to uh, put back Ratzinger. Why? Because Ratzinger, first of all, was a German and people don't like Germans. Secondly, he was part of the Hitlerjugend when he was young. And third, he was pretty much conservative in his views. This Pope is a South American. He is a completely uh, pro-immigration. He says to build bridges, not to build walls, while at the same time living in the Vatican, which, if you don't know, it's a city with wall within yeah, Rome. Big walls. Which has the Swiss Plated guard, in gold. Has, yeah. And it has the Swiss guards. They have the richest bank in the world. They have 600 millions of buildings around the world they don't pay for. And at the same time, they say, oh, but you should embrace your brothers because there is, you know, for, for God, for the Christian God, there is no difference between one person from a nation and another. We are all the same under God. We all follow the same rules that God teach us. So this is the universalist, globalist religion. Yeah. And it is the perfect for this for globalization is perfect for that yeah christianity has just become really taken over by globalists and elites i mean e there's even mennonites in america now that their number one mission is anti-racism you know and open borders it's yeah, just amazing yeah, yeah. i'm not even that old and i've seen this transformation happen in the the christian church but let's talk about since you have studied a lot of pre-christian mm -hmm. traditions which i think is also important i love hearing about this Italy obviously has mm -hmm. a rich history prior yes. to the Pope, uh, Indo-European yes. faith that they practiced, you know, for generations. So for people new to the topic, what can you tell us about some of the ancient traditions in Italy? Well, there are a lot of ancient traditions and I really would know where I should begin with. But I can talk about something that relates us nationalists and identitarians, which is a very ancient cult called the Cults of the Ancestors. Now, we see even nowadays that in eastern in, in the eastern part of the world, like for example in India, in China, Japan, or Korea or Vietnam, people used to build some kind of small temples within the house where they pray for the ancestors. They give the food, they uh, burn the incense, and they pray and display rituals um, to their ancestors. They this is a thing that ancient Italians, so all the Italic tribes and right after the Romans, more generally speaking, used to do. 
So you, the pater familia, which means the father of the family, used to build a little, let's say, temple, but in Italian it's called Larario, where he put like the statue of an ancestor, he burnt the incense, and he gave food every time they ate. And this was done in order to request the ancestors to protect your home, your family, and to eventually uh, do other kind of requests or prayers to get answers to your questions. And this is a very ancient group that is still present in the world. So it's not something that disappeared. It's just that the Eastern Asian people maintain this better than we did, but we had it as well. And this is something that I think also other Europeans can relate to. Because even nowadays, we still bring flowers to the tombs of our ancestors, of our dead ancestors. We still pray to them and we still make them requests. So this is something that has remained in our consciousness. We don't even know it, without even knowing the origin. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of those pre-Christian things are still actually a part of Christianity, things that they celebrate, they are. Christmas, mm -hmm. Easter, you know. So what are, what's one of your favorite celebrations? Well, they are. I wanted to talk actually about a celebration that is present both in Sweden, mm -hmm. since uh, uh, we are talking about Northern European countries, but mm -hmm. also in Southern European countries, in particular from my region, and this is St. Lucy. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you've heard about that. Yeah. This is a festivity that happens the 13th of December. And we have this tradition in Sweden where the oldest daughter wakes up uh, like uh, in the morning and uh, wears a white vest with a red belt and wears flowers, a crown of flowers, and seven candles uh, upon her head. She prepares the lusekater, I think it's the pronunciation, which means cats of lights, and they are cookies, and she gives them uh, to her family. Now, what is the origin of St. Lucy? We have the same tradition in Sicily, but how is it possible that we have the same saint in Sicily, which is the southern, uh, the most southern part of Europe, and at the same time we have it in Sweden, the most northern part of Europe. That's because we had uh, similar Indo-European goddesses that were um, worshipped during that time. In Sicily we had a goddess uh, which was called um, Artemis, and at the same time we had also Persephone, and the St. Lucy, it's like a mixture of both of them. So, uh, they, Saint Lucy, uh, the word Lucy comes from Lux, from Lux Latin, which means the light. And it is actually a role that these goddesses had because they brought the lights. They were represented with grinds on one hand and with torches on the other. And they brought the lights during the longest night of the year, which is the 13th of December. The same role was uh, done by uh, Freja, which was called the Shining Bride, the same way St. Lucy is called. And she was also called the Beautiful Sun, which is also um, some kind of nomenclature that is still given to St. Lucy. Their role was that of bringing the lights to fight obscurity, the obscurity that occurs during a winter and to have a good um, agriculture, to have fertile um, agricultural lands during the year, so when the spring will come after the winter. And this is something that has been maintained by the cult of St. Lucy. 
And I know that some people have gotten scared and think, oh, Lucy, Lucifer, bringer of the light. Yeah, but you Lucifer know. brings, yes, but Lucifer brings the light. It actually means the light bringer. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be a negative yeah. figure. It should be a positive one. That was a story that was kind of rewritten and made to be something that was uh, evil and demonic when it was really not. Yeah. Very innocent and very beautiful, right? Yeah. And the same thing they did with St. Lucy because... There is no writings about that, no real historical writing. Just the Christian scriptures of the Middle Ages wrote about that. But there was no martyr at all called Lucy. Almost all the martyr stories are fake. Also in the beautiful uh, book, The Darkening Age of um, Nixie, of Mrs. Nixie, uh, she writes that it has been researched that of all the martyrdoms, only 10 of them could be real or reliable. All the others are fake. And this is one of them. So, You also translated a book, I'm probably not going to say it right, into English. It was called Religio Romano, and it was Esoteric Aspects mm-hmm. in the Roman Gentile Tradition. Yeah. So this is very interesting. Tell us, tell us a little bit about this book. Well, about the esoteric aspects, uh, this is a very huge topic, but I can already talk about one element, which is uh, very important to make the difference between Indo-European faiths and Christian faiths. What Christianity lacks of is the initiation. So for the um, Roman religion, there was an initiation, which could be a sacerdotal one, so to become a priest and to enter the temple, or a spiritual one, where the cives, so the citizen, took the vir, became a vir. Vir in Latin means uh, man, became a real man. Now, this initiation was done uh, through following the, um, the teachings of the master, which was a, a priest, let's say, itself. And this initiation uh, was done through a lot of proofs that you have to overcome. You have to fight, metaphorically speaking, against your monsters, monsters your uh, internal monsters, and all the um, difficulties that put which can be represented by the mites of Ulysses, for example, of Hercules, or of Persio. All of them represent the fight that the person who wants to be initiated has to win and to overcome, to become an initiated man. And this is the basis of an esoteric cult, which is different from an exoteric cult, which is Christianity. Mm -hmm. Christianity tells you that the truth has been revealed, but the truth and now for the Indo-European faith, for religion Romana, cannot be revealed. The truth is something that you have to gain through studying, through fighting your ego, through fighting your monsters, and through finding the truth by yourself. So you have to actually destroy the veil of Maya, if we want to quote the, <laughs> the Indian word, so the Indian tradition of the veil of Maya, so the illusion. And to find out the truth by yourself, because the truth cannot be revealed. And this difference between this esoteric uh, system and an exoteric one. So the esoteric system, you have a symbol, but you don't only see what the symbol is. You see what the meaning of the symbol is. So the meaning behind it. I think that's beautiful. And and it also makes me think of you have to save yourself. There's no savior that's going to fix everything and do everything. You can't just pray and then uh, everything's going to be taken care of for you, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, and in Christianity, it's also crazy because not only it is an anti-initiatic religion, but it also goes uh, against the Ten Commandments of Moses, which actually were don't kill, don't steal, don't look at somebody else's wife, 
which I mean, they are good teachings. But Basic, then Jesus yeah. Christ came and mm -hmm. said, well, don't worry, you can do whatever you want. You can be a criminal. The important thing is that you repent your sins. Like you're going to die, you repent your sins, you're going to heaven. What kind of religion is that? Yeah. And the, I mean, in our religion, you have, you are taught that you have to respect the laws of uh, Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to use an Indian word, you have to respect karma. Mm -hmm. Because you know that whatever you do comes back at you. So if you do a, if you do a bad action, you're going to receive a bad action. Exactly. And it's before people act like before the Ten Commandments, people were just savages and didn't know how to treat each other. We're talking about our ancestors <laughs> yeah. here. I mean, the the Nordics had yeah. the nine noble virtues. They knew these things. They had a code of yeah. conduct and morals and, and stories and myths uh, to get across these ideas, you know? All of us, not all of us, both in the South, in the North, in the Eastern part of Europe, all of us had these concepts. We weren't savages, of course. The real savage religion is Christianity, which actually spread thanks to Saulus, which is St. Paul, which was a Jew with a Roman citizenship. And here we understand how carefully we should be when we accept immigrants, because this is what they can bring to your nation or empire. And this is what it did, because it basically spread this uh, cancer called Christianity. And the first to convert to it weren't actually Europeans. It was the Jews who firstly converted to it. They, they were called the Haaretz, and they were um, a part of the Jewish community which couldn't actually read the sacred Jewish scriptures, like the Talmud. They couldn't read it at all. The rabbi refused them because they couldn't follow the holy scriptures. And they started following Christianity, which didn't tell you that you have to study, that you have to have an initiation. You could be a slave, you could be a criminal, you could be wherever you wanted. In fact, when uh, Jesus Christ was crucified, he was next to a murderer and a robber. This is the teachings that we have been reading. Of course, it destroys our spirituality. Yeah, and, and then Christians, especially in America, they think, you know, Jews are the chosen people, because the Bible says so, they can do no wrong. They just turn a blind eye to any kind of activities, even how, how awful yeah. they are to Christians and Israel and all the crap yeah. coming out of Hollywood. Yeah. It's just outrageous, the programming, the hold that it's had, you know. Ugh. Yeah, and if I may add something, because we all care, I mean, me, you, and the people who follow these movements, we care about race. But race is not only something physical. It's not something... Uh, from an anthropological point of view or from a genetic point of view, it's also something spiritual. If we have developed certain faith, certain beliefs, certain type of philosophy, it's because our spirit is different. Yeah. That's why, because if we all were really the same, we would have developed the same way of thinking, the same languages, the same traditions. No, this cannot be possible, of course. And if we, as European, as Indo-Europeans, follow the spirituality of a Semitic sect, because they are a Semitic sect, what are we going to become when not Semites ourselves? Mm. We are going to think the same way as the Jews do. We are going to follow them. So when they say that they are the chosen people, of course they can become such if, they, if we continue following a doctrine which was actually invented for them. Yeah, we will always be stupid guys, you know. Like yeah, I know. It's just, 
So let's talk about then the the importance of bringing back a lot of these ancient Indo-European faiths, uh, particularly for you know identitarians and nationalists. I know we were just talking yeah. about uh, you know race is important, and race is not just skin color. Obviously, yeah, it's oh, spirituality, course, it, it's metaphysical, it's cultural, it's uh, physical, it's so many different things. Of course, we should bring them back because uh, first of all, we need to learn that we don't have to feel guilty about anything that we should be proud about what we are and what our ancestors were and did. Because even though lefties say, oh, but you are not what your ancestors have completed. No, we are, because we share the same blood, the same genes, and the same spirit is, has been um, realized, has been through ourselves. Which means that by bringing back Indo-European spirituality, we are already fighting against, against uh, globalization, against propaganda that wants us to be mixed, a big uh, melting pot of mixed brownish race with no roots, no origin, nothing at all. And the Indo-European faiths can fight against that because in that way we recognize, first of all, what our ancestors were, secondly, what our spirituality is, and third, we can wake up our consciousness not only as Indo-Europeans, but as humans generally, because of the teachings of uh, high philosophers like Platone, for example, which cannot be found in the Christian world at all. Now, I know some people ask, well, what was the purpose of these Indo-European faiths? And, and I would say that in spirituality, religion, the quest for <laughs> knowledge, truth, that has always been essential in the human soul and psyche, right? I mean, what kind of purpose can they have when not waking up our consciousness as i said of course their uh, uh you know purpose wasn't that of bringing us to heaven after having followed our life of not doing anything apart from going to the church once a year or something but the purpose is to wake our real self to find out the truth the veiled truth uh, firstly, um, analyzing our microcosmos, because we as humans are already a microcosmos and we are already the images of the universe. And right after, we can understand the rules behind the macrocosmos, more generally speaking. So that is the purpose. And for us nationalist identitarians, the purpose is to be and to remain Indo-Europeans, because we are not Semites. We are not supposed to follow a Semite god. And we are not supposed to follow the rules invented from people we do not share blood with, we do not share the genes with. I mean, the word gene itself, from I mean, genetics, comes from the, uh, has the same origin of the Latin word genius, which there is already this word in English, genius, which means a super intelligent person. But genius, um, in a... Um, a for, as a spiritual meaning for uh, the ancient Romans was a spirit. Every each of us has a genius, has a spirit, and every folk, every nation has one of it. And it's very beautiful what Rudolf Steiner, which was a philosopher, a German philosopher of the 19th century, and also the founder of the Theosophic Association in Germany, said, because he said, you can be a man and think that you don't have any relationship with your ancestors and with your race, but that you only have that you only are a man. But this is not true because anyway, willing or not, you will still represent your ancestors, your blood, your race, and you will represent the spirit of your ancestors. 
yes. no matter what. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny how a lot of European people can get this when it's some tribes in the Amazon or Africa or South America. Oh, they're beautiful folk tradition and folk soul and they're Indo yeah, faiths, right? Exactly. But then like all but of a sudden Europeans, yeah, like we don't have any, we're not native to anywhere. Our, our ancestors did nothing. You know, it's just ridiculous. Exactly. Oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> yes, and it's also ridiculous. I mean, how Christianity uh, went and ruined also these folks because like with the Spanish and the Portuguese in South America, with the massive conversion of Christianity or with the massive conversion of Christianity in Africa. And this Christian association, let's not forget, were also those who brought, you know, medicine, vaccines, food to these people and made the number of the African population grow to the point where right now there are one billion. Let's just not forget that, and which is actually causing a problem also to us right now, Europeans. But they actually, I mean, it's not only in Europe. They always try to destroy the native cults everywhere. Mm. They did the same in India as well yeah. because they tried to convert the Pariyas, which is the lowest class of India, not making them accept their role in society anymore by telling them that we are all equal. But Indo-European folks have, Indo-European uh, faiths have hierarchy. Of course, mm. we are not all equals yeah. and we are don't have the same role in society. So I would say a lot of the things that we talk about politically is what our ancestors, if they were alive today and they were in a time machine and they came forward, they would be talking just like us, <laughs> you know, because they were yeah. grounded in natural yeah. law and what, what you can see, what you can calculate, what's obvious. You know, a lot of these lefties yeah. and uh, unfortunately a lot of Christians these days live on this like cuckoo puff island, you know. Where yes, yes. they have they're this, uh, in their bubble. yeah. They're in I mean, bubble. they're idealists. They're dreaming. Where we are, we are the realists. So we actually see what's happening. Yeah. You know, yeah, because we are facing reality. Because yeah. we don't live in super fancy villas. You know, with one hundred percent white neighborhood, we actually have had, unfortunately, the opportunity to live among diversity in Europe, or at least I have experienced that. And I didn't like it at all. So, And really, if we want to follow what leftists say, and that diversity is our strength, I agree. The world is beautiful because it's diverse. Mm. But if you mix it up, what are you going to get? Precisely. Exactly. This is really a basic rule. Yeah, exactly. Very basic. Very basic. <laughs> you just, I just need a, a box <laughs> really? of color crayons and I can show that to you in like two yes, minutes and teach yeah, your child. I, I saw that image. It's yeah. like that. <laughs> like the colors, but then you want to mix them up yeah, with nothing. That's ridiculous. Well, last question for you. I want to ask, I, you know, you've been studying a lot of ancient European faiths. You've researched a lot of things. What is one similarity that you see going through, a, a common theme that you have discovered? Well, a common theme, which was also studied um, by the um, um, Dumasil, which was an, um, an analyzer of religions, of ancient tradition, of Indo-Europeans, etc., he wrote that there was a similarity among all Indo-European faiths, which was the division inside the society. It was composed by the by priests, so by priesthood, let's say. Then it was composed by warriors, so by the warrior caste. Then there we had the agricultural or commercials, and then we had like the exiliated, which is basically what it is as well right now in India and for Hinduism. And this is something really similar among all the 
Indo-European uh, folks. But also what was similar is, first of all, the cult of the ancestors, as I've said, this was present among everybody. Secondly, the um, uh, idea of initiation. It was not only done in, like, for us ancient Italians, but it was also done in other parts of Europe. For example, I read an interesting article some uh, weeks ago about the initiation in Eastern Europe, in particular in uh, modern-day Poland, where the women had to burn the dolls because they had to enter the adulthood by becoming women and abandoning their infantile like uh, side and men had to uh, overcome some physical uh, some physical uh, proofs to prove to the um, to the master to those of their tribes that they actually became men strong men and they could actually started uh, having a family being warriors and fight for their tribes so this is also a common trait for everybody oh, which we don't have anymore Unfortunately. Well, we have to bring those things back. I think initiations are, yeah. are very important yeah. too, and ceremonies and rituals and things like that are very important. Well, tell us about what you have going on, some of your goals. I know that you have things that you're working on. Tell us yeah. about it. Well, we are actually uh, building temples in Italy, and I'm very happy about that because thanks to this um, cultural association, Pietas, we managed to build in just a few years two temples already, one dedicated to Jupiter and one other dedicated to Minerva Medica. And one was in Rome and one is in Pordenone. And we are doing an amazing job in bringing back our, um, ancient, uh, our ancient traditions. Because not only we built these uh, temples, but they, they and we together actually write uh, little books, uh, little books, little articles. And we do conventions very, very often where we talk about um, our, the esoteric meaning of the symbolism in uh, among Indo-European uh, cults and about the ancient traditions of Italics, so of our ancestors. And we are doing a great job in Italy, but we are also doing a good job in Greece with the, with the Hellenic uh, Association, the USE. And we are also doing, uh, I saw, because I don't personally don't know them, but uh, in Lithuania, for example, the ancient tradition, the Romuva, is growing day by day. It's just amazing. I have like these earrings that I bought in Lithuania representing nice. the, yes, nice. the solar wheel is amazing. Yeah, and the same is happening also in Eastern Europe, in particular, so in Poland and in Russia as well, even though they are known for being Catholic and Orthodox. Mm. It's exciting. I would love to have like a giant, a true European diverse <laughs> festival where we all get together and talk about these things and celebrate <laughs> yes. some, you know, celebrate some cool festival or something. That would be awesome. Yes, our diversity, our real diversity. Yeah, our celebrate our true diversity. Exactly. We have all the diversity we need, folks. That we need. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I should ask you, though, about Italy. Um, you know, northern Italy, there's a lot of blondes. And I know that there's some other areas where it kind of gets uh, a, a little darker. Now, did some of that have to do? Mm -hmm. uh, there's different theories for that. But obviously, uh, Muslim invasions. What do you know? Well, the Muslim invasions were actually in my region, in Sicily. Uh, but luckily, it just lasted for 200 years, and we didn't have big mixing with them because basically 
after that, we, we fought them for all those years, to the point that one-third of the population in the capital city in Palermo was literally killed by them, was genocided, that was a real genocide. But uh, anyway, thanks to our effort, and then thanks to the Normans that came in Sicily with uh, uh, Federico II, which is uh, one of the most important figures for Sicilian history, we fought them all. We uh, actually, whether we killed them or we forced them to convert, and those who, are, of course, didn't want to, they just went away. Or they were, put, uh, they were brought to Lucera, which is another city, another uh, region, and they were put in some kind of concentration camps, and then they were killed. So we didn't have any mixing with them. The darker people who are in the south of Italy are dark because they are Mediterraneans. I mean, racially, we all know that there are different sub-races in the big Caucasoid family. And some of them are dark. Some of them are light. Yeah, we have all different shades. Exactly. It's always good to say European, <laughs> I think, instead of white. Because then, you know, then people play yeah. that game. Like, well, what shade does it have to be, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I use white just when we speak about the collective Europeans, yeah. Europeans in America, Europeans in Australia. Then you can say white, generally speaking, but we are Europeans. We are not white. Yeah. I, I mean, we are not some kind of European mix. We are Italians or we are Germans or we are French or whatever. I think the one place where you can use that now, American used to mean white people, right? Mostly white people. There were some blacks, of course. But uh, I think it's become a generic white in America because people are so blended out. Not everyone, though. There's a lot of people that still aren't, you know. They're Germanic or Swedish or what. But it has become kind of a, 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 a watered-down <laughs> European. Yes. And, I, and I see where yes. that goes and what that leads to. So we don't want that happening in Europe also. Exactly, exactly. I agree completely with you, so. Well, Elenia, thank you so much. It's been a blast getting to know you. Your English is great. Thank you. A you, lot man. of knowledge. Oh, thank you very you know, much. You're, you're young. You have your whole life ahead of you, and you already know all this stuff. I think that that's really exciting and cool. We'll have to have you back sometime, okay? Thank you very much, Dan. We wish you a nice day now. And everybody who's watching us. So. I will definitely have Eileen back to discuss the fall of Rome, brought on by multiculturalism, diversity, and immigration. A lot more coming up. Be sure to always check our website, redicemembers.com, for all our latest content, as things are dodgy with censorship and banning. Enjoy your evening, wherever you may be.